now we turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, to listen for the word of God. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequal for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have told many of you during Sunday school classes or conversations that I had this wonderful opportunity early in the year, this year back in February, when there was this thing that not many of us had heard about that was hitting the news called the coronavirus. I had this chance to go to the Holy Land with about a group of about 50 of us from here at the church. It was a wonderful trip. So much of the gospel stories came alive. While we were in Jordan, so we're in Israel a lot of the time, but we also were in Jordan part of the time, one morning our guide says, we're going to the top of Mount Nebo this morning, the very place we've just read about. So we boarded the bus and we began to drive out of town and all of a sudden we're on the side of a hill and we're climbing and we're climbing, switchback after switchback. We drive for nearly an hour to get to the top of Mount Nebo. Well, at least I thought we were at the top, but we go through the entryway and we see before us this long pathway all uphill. We're not to the top just yet. So we walk about halfway and we're all beginning to be a little winded and there's a commemorative memorial there. So we stop and learn a little bit about that. Then we walk further, finally get to a place where it flattens out a little bit. The guide calls us over to the side and he tells us more about the history of this mountain and these valleys that we were standing upon. Then he says, hubba hubba which he had told us means, let's go. And we began hiking uphill again. We finally get to the building, the chapel that has been established there. We go around the building about 40 more yards uphill. And finally, we can see over this railing 
this magnificent view that opens up before you. When it was our turn to move right up to the railing, we could look out. We're standing in Jordan, but we're looking out over Israel. We could see the city of Jericho that we had visited days before. We could see the Jordan River. We could see the plains opening up before us. It was a magnificent view. It was a magnificent experience. But we were standing at a place just like where this story says Moses stood gazing into the promised land after all these years with god finally he's right on the precipice i'd always wondered how he was able to see so much but once you are there you realize there is a vista before you you are so high on mount nebo that you can see for miles this is how the author of deuteronomy describes it in verse 1 then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land. And once you are standing there, you realize why you believe you can see the whole land. You can see for miles and miles out across Israel and the Holy Land. Then the author tells with some place names, what all Moses is seeing. And then we get to verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Can you imagine what it must be like for Moses. He's been responding to this call of God for such a long time. Moses has been on this incredible journey with God. Finally, after dreaming all these years about the promised land, he gets to the edge. And God says, you can see it, but you cannot enter it. You will not experience it. I thought back about all that Moses has gone through, being born into slavery in Egypt, being saved when the Pharaoh's killing all the Hebrew boys by the ingenuity and boldness of his mother and his sister and the kindness of Pharaoh's daughter, but then being outraged about the injustice of the Egyptians, fueling his anger and his rage so that he ends up killing an Egyptian and then he's on the run out of the country. And then he lives for years away from all that, a rather quiet life compared to all the rest of this, until one day he begins to discern this call from God to go back to Egypt, that God might use him to deliver his people. And after some hesitation and some consternation, Moses agrees and goes back and God uses him to deliver the Hebrew people to lead them through the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years Moses has been leading the people. That is such a long time to carry leadership responsibility for anything. But Moses is up to the task. God is working through him. And Moses continues to lead until this story today. Until we get to this part. 
in verse 5. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. Now, pomp or circumstance without much ado, after Moses has been such the great prophet and leader of the Hebrew people, God's representative for all of these years, Moses dies. And verse 8 tells us the Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. The Israelites are moving on. The rest of them are moving into the promised land. It is a time of change and transition, but Moses is not going with them. William Bridges is a researcher and author who's written about the distinction between change and transition. He says change is what happens in the external environment to us or around us, but transition is what happens inside our minds and hearts as we're trying to process what the changes are, what we are feeling, what we're thinking, what we're saying, decisions we are making. The changes happen, but we get stuck or in the process of the transition. I think we see it in our story today. Bridges says there's three different stages that we go through in transition. I've put them in your outline. There is the ending where something we have been used to is over. Then there's the neutral zone where people are processing what has happened. What is happening? What's going to happen? Where are we going? What decisions do we need to make? And then there is the new beginning. I think we see all three of those in our text today where Moses dies, and then the people go into the neutral zone this time of mourning, and then they prepare for a new leader. Verse 9 tells us about the new leader after the people have been mourning for 30 days. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him, and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. You can see that it's the end of one era, but it's the beginning of the next. They're in a time of change, and now they're in a time of transition, trying to decide what happens next. How do we continue to be faithful? Moses is the one that we have followed but the author is reminding us that Joshua can take his place. That Joshua is the one commissioned by Moses. He's full of wisdom. In other words, he's up for the task. It reminds us of another important lesson. In an organization, we can all be replaced. No matter how great any leader is, we can all be replaced. I have seen this happen so often in churches and other organizations where someone begins to think they're irreplaceable. It always leads them down a destructive path. They begin to ignore the advice and the input of others. They often begin to make demands about what they have to have to stay with the organization. I've experienced people resign 
believing that there's no way the organization's going to accept their resignation because they are so important and so vital. You know what? Resignations are accepted. Organizations move ahead. I've seen people threaten to resign, believing they'll get more leverage in terms of what the organization does, and they perhaps believe that they're going to get what they want or the demands they are making. It is destructive behavior. It's destructive to the organization. It's destructive to the team. It's insensitive to others. And I find, as I've watched this play out, it's also destructive to the person with this erroneous belief that's gotten their ego to grow so much that they think, I cannot be replaced. This story makes it really clear. Moses is this tremendous leader. None other like him. It says no one else is equal. And Moses, too, gets replaced. It's an important lesson to remember. It keeps us humble and contributes to a healthier perspective in our work. It makes us more sensitive to others. It makes us better listeners. It helps us remember to value everyone's contribution because we all can be replaced, but we all still have a role to play. Moses has played his role God has called him. He's responded. He's done what God has asked him to deliver the people. And then he unites the people during this wilderness journey. He teaches them and instructs them about what it means to be a covenant family in covenant with each other and with God. He teaches them how to love one another, how to love and worship God. He has been tremendous. And yet, what happens at the end? Even though he's been faithful to God and all the while he's been keeping them in touch with God, the text tells us no other like him, and yet he is replaced. Our lives are transitory. Death will come. But as people of faith, the good news is that's not the end of the story. We believe there is more These stories we've been reading have reminded us week after week that God is with us, that God can and will provide. As we've read through Exodus and this great saga of God delivering and shaping and forming these people, this theme has come up over and over again as they've had this need and that need, is that God is with them and God can provide. Let us not forget that these powerful stories of faith remind us that we can count on God. Throughout the ups and downs and the vicissitudes of our lives, we can count on God. God can and will provide. Oh, it's hard to see it in the middle of a crisis. How are we going to get through? How do we survive What does this all mean? What does the other side look like? It's hard to answer those when you're in the middle of the change and the transition and the crisis. But these stories reassure us time and time again that God is with us and God can provide and God will provide for us. In this story, we find this good news that Moses is not great on his own 
But Moses is great because he made himself available to God. I've put it in your outline. It's so important to remember God working through Moses makes him great. And why that is good news is that that can be true for any and all of us. We're not to be great on our own. We're not to serve without God's presence. It's God working in us and through us. It's our response in faith that empowers us to be servants in the cause of Christ, to be those who respond faithfully as they're a part of the covenant family in relationship with God. Moses can serve as a great example for us of what it means to be a person of faith, even if we're not delivering people from slavery. Still, God can work in us and through us in our place, in our circumstances, in our time. I've put a few highlights of what I think Moses did. Reverend Sarah mentioned some of these same ones in her prayer this morning. Moses was one who was looking for God to be at work in his own life. He was noticing when God was calling him and he was responding. He was one who would respond as best he could. That's important for us as well. And then even in the difficult times, Moses continued in the conversation with God and then also took time away to listen more intently to God when Moses was struggling to discern what's next, where to go. Whoa, oh God, what do you want us to do? Moses took time apart to listen. And then this is that Moses would always go back to the people and share his experience. So that's important for us as well to share our experience of God with others. A few years ago, Boston Avenue articulated a mission statement that said we would challenge each other to think deeply, to grow spiritually, to love generously so that we could actively share God's blessings with others. It's so important for us to stay close, stay connected to God, but not to stop there, to allow God's life to flow through us so that we can share God's blessings with others. I think of all the pioneers of this church who came before us, Reverend Chenoweth, who was in Colorado and traveled out of the mountains across the plains to these hills on the banks of the Arkansas River so that he might be a blessing to others. Or Dr. and Mrs. Fred Clinton, who were early pillars of the church, working with Reverend Chenoweth to draw more people in so that this new emerging church family might be a blessing to others. So many others serving throughout the ages. Of course, we remember Audrey and C.C. Cole and Dr. Rice, who led the building committee when they built this magnificent structure or so many others I could name through the decades and the centuries who served so faithfully. I think of Bishop Finus Crutchfield, who served here for over a decade and really helped the church grow, but maybe even more important than his time here was that as a bishop, he was instrumental in bringing Dr. Biggs to this congregation to lead it for over 30 years. So many people playing important roles in the life of the church. And yet, they all pass on eventually. They all are replaced. And yet there is good news here. The good news is that God nonetheless can use all of us to bless others. Even though our time is transitory, 
Even though none of us lasts forever, God lasts forever. And God can work through each and every one of us. And we can all play our role faithfully. And as we respond in faith, as Moses did, then we get to be a part of this mighty, long, and glorious legacy that is God working with people on the earth and for us here at Boston Avenue. The question I've put in your outline is this. What role is God calling you to play? It might be to be a prayer or a teacher or a giver. We all have different gifts. Let God use you for good. Let God use you to be a blessing. Let God's life flow through you as God's life has flown through so many before it came to be our time. Jesus reminds us that he is the vine and we are the branches and God's life will flow through us as we stay connected to him. May it be so.